to be here. Let's uh, begin in verse number one. Let's read this all together. It's our final message out of Psalm 23, I believe. And uh, so we'll read this all together one more time. Ready, begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll mention this again in the message, but I'd like you to be thinking about this. He's just taken us through, in, in a very abbreviated way, he's taken us through the entire course of the year of a shepherd caring for his sheep. And he comes to this conclusion at the end of verse number six. After considering the shepherd's care over the course of an entire season and all that a shepherd will lead his sheep through and do with his sheep and do for his sheep, this is what the sheep who was also a shepherd said about the chief, the good shepherd. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the title, the thought for tonight. It doesn't get any better than this. Actually, we could say it this way. It doesn't get any better than him. Because he's the good shepherd. So let's pray. Father, I'm glad that we get to be here tonight and just thankful for who you are. How good you are. Admittedly, Lord, we go through hard times. We go through times of great sorrow and trial, failing and being failed. And yet through all of that, through all of the valleys through the ups and the downs. If we are thinking right about you, we come to this conclusion that David came to. It doesn't get any better than him. It doesn't get any better than you. So, Father, tonight, would you, as we have enjoyed very much the focus upon you, help us to be reminded of what we know, but we can forget so easily And I pray that from the youngest believer to the oldest believer, and if there are any who are trying to decide whether or not to put their faith in Christ, I pray that you would remind us that you are the best. You are the best that we have. So please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. I'm going to begin by reviewing because this really is a 
it comes to a conclusion based on this entire summary. I'm not going to preach the whole chapter. I'm just going to hit some high points. And then we'll deal with the verse number six, the latter half, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, just as a reminder, this is not a psalm about death. And we often hear it used at funerals or in eulogies or memorial services. But this is a psalm about life, specifically how well the good shepherd cares for his sheep. Often we have a tendency to read this psalm with a sheep-centered focus. But this is not a sheep-centered psalm. This is a shepherd-centered psalm. And it's written with this purpose in mind to highlight the great care of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, that he exercises on behalf of his sheep. Far too often, we cause ourselves problems when we focus too much on ourselves, we focus too much on what we're going through, we focus too much on how we failed, we focus too much on how others have failed us, we focus too much on how we're hurting. And notice that I didn't say we should never focus on or deal with those things, but we become too consumed with us and with the things that bother us and the things that we don't like. And we lose sight of the fact that in all of those things, in all of those ups and all of those downs, we have a good shepherd who is ever present and he is caring for us. And so the challenge of this psalm is to get our focus off of ourselves and onto the good shepherd and how he cares for his sheep. Brothers and sisters, it is so encouraging to be reminded that we don't have to be consumed with ourselves because he is ever focused upon you as his sheep. And he is only capable of doing what is good and doing what is best for you. And through every valley and every sorrow and every disappointment, whether afflicted by others or inflicted upon ourselves, he is always the good shepherd and his care for us is always the best. Just a few points. I've... Um, alliterated them just to help it flow a little bit. He's a personal shepherd. We notice the use of personal pronouns. The Lord is my, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Yea, though, and he goes on, and it, and it can almost, it almost sounds like, if you're not careful when you're reading this, that David is really self-absorbed, doesn't it? But that's not the point. He's emphasizing the shepherd's focus upon him. And this is what David was confident of. I have the shepherd's attention. He was confident that he is a good shepherd, is paying attention to me. In green valleys, by peaceful waters, through difficult valleys, the shepherd is paying attention to me. I want to remind you tonight that he is a personal shepherd. And wherever you are, and however cold you may be, or however intensely you may, closely you may feel to the Savior, whatever trial you're going through, whatever joys you're experiencing, wherever you're at in life, you can be sure of this, that he is your personal shepherd, that he is paying attention to you. 
He is not distracted from you. He has not lost sight of you. He is not indifferent to you. And though you may feel as though he is far from you, he is never far from his sheep. He is the good shepherd. And he is your shepherd. And with all of the sheep that he must pay attention to, not one of them can go astray. Not one of them can be stranded out on a mountainside. Not one of them can be in danger. That he is not aware of you and interested in you. He's a personal shepherd. He is your personal shepherd. There's a song. I'm so thankful for the sentiment of it. The chorus goes like this. He loves me like I was his only child. Honesty, it would be easier to pay attention to my children if there weren't eight of them. That's not a complaint. You know what that is? That is a statement of my limitation. You get it? He's not limited. And he pays attention to you as though you are the only one. And no matter how many millions and billions and more than that of his children there are, he gives undivided attention to each of them. You say, how is that possible? Because he's God. And if he can speak it into existence, if he can die on the cross for our sins and rise again, if he can give us eternal life, then it's no problem for him to give you personal attention that you need every day. Number two, he's a providing shepherd. Green pastures, still waters, restoring our souls, leading us in the paths of righteousness, even using the valleys for our benefit. We can be certain of this, that through every season of life, he will be sure to meet our needs. Now, wouldn't it be nice if God dealt with us like it was a genie in a bottle or we just won Publishers Clearinghouse? And just showed up with the balloons and all your problems are solved. You're going to be, live to be 98 and then you're going to go to sleep. It's all good. That'd be great. It's not how it works, does it? Is it? But this is what we know. And this is what his children over and over and over again can give testament to. He's always come through. I didn't know how. And it wasn't when I would have chosen it to be. But when I needed it, when I needed him, when I needed whatever that was, He brought it to me just in time. He brought me that person. He brought me that sermon. He brought me that job. He brought me that check. He brought me me that doctor. He brought me that help. He brought me that encouragement. He brought me that conviction. He brought me that life circumstance. Whatever it was in that moment, he provided it when I needed it. Number three, he's a present shepherd. Oh, I understand this can sound redundant to him being a personal shepherd, but I love verse number four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art, what's that word? With. With. Um, Jaron is on again, off again, wanting to sleep in our room, and right now he's an on again kick. And look, I'm, I'm so opposed to children sleeping in the bedroom anywhere, anywhere, but at three in the morning, I don't care. <laughs> whatever, I'll deal with this in the morning, and then I won't, but it's, it's always just, I mean, we're just, we're trying to win the battle, but after eight, I'm tired, whatever, I'm, uh, but this is what he wants, because he, he goes through these, goes through these, I'm scared, you know, your kids go through, some of them do, some of them don't, some of them need to, but they don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scared, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter how irrational it is, He's scared. You know what he wants? He wants to be with someone. 
think about Sister Tammy. Some lonely days. Talking to talking to Brother Mike before the service, and it's just you know just ongoing. It's just it's a slow, long, hard process. But many of you know what it's like to have so much pain and so much fear and so much frustration that it's so intense you feel nothing but alone. And what you want is for someone to be with you just to know that it's okay. I understand it's not always in the form that we want, but he is always with you. I'm reminded of that poem, Footprints in the Sand, and this guy has a dream, and he's talking about how the Lord was with him throughout his life, and, and there were many of these scenes in his life where there were two foot, two sets of footprints in the sand, but there were, in some of the most difficult seasons of his life, he, he said, I only saw one set of footprints, Lord. Where, where were you in all of that? Why was I walking alone? And he goes on to illustrate it this way. When you only saw one set of footprints, it's not that you were alone, it's that I was carrying you. I just want to tell you, him being with you is not an emotion. Him being with you is not a guaranteed set of circumstances. Him being with you is a promise that he makes, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel it. I'm telling you, you'll look back, and you'll stand before him one day, and you'll recognize, God, even when I didn't see it, you were with me. Even at my, even at my lowest point, God, I see that you were there. Number four, the last thing, he's a prevailing shepherd. I don't use, use this word a lot, but the word prevail means to prove more powerful than opposing forces. We, we talked about verse 5, thou preparest the table before me. Notice the phrase, in the presence of mine enemies. Wouldn't it be great if God just got rid of all our enemies? Okay, be honest. You would if you could. Okay, I, no. You would. Don't pretend. We're going to have an altar call right now, and all of y'all are going to come and pray. Ask God to forgive you for lying. There's some enemies, either people or circumstances or things, that if it was up to you, you would be rid of them. But oftentimes, the Lord doesn't immediately or sometimes over long periods of time ever completely remove the enemy. But you know what he does do? He does bless us even in the presence of the enemy. And it's amazing that when a sheep is willing to humble themselves and trust the care and the leadership of the shepherd, how God can exalt them and bless them and lift them up even in the presence of opposing forces. You know why that's possible? Because he is a prevailing shepherd. You know, it's amazing, we pointed this out about these missionary letters, how that even in times of great uncertainty and confusion and conflicting professional opinion and government overreach and fear and anxiety and all these things going on in the world and all of these questions that are unanswered and all of the concerns that people have, it seems as though the work of God continues to go forward. People are still getting saved. Churches are still being planted. And people are still being encouraged. And the word of God is still being effective. You know why? Because he is a prevailing shepherd. And there's not a pandemic. There's not a shutdown. There's not an oppressive government. There's not any unrest. There is nothing that can prevent his work from being done and his people from being used and his people being taken care of if they'll trust him because he prevails over all of it. He's a prevailing shepherd personal he's providing 
He's present. He's prevailing in all of that. The good shepherd is always active in caring for his sheep. I want to have a little fun for a moment. I appreciate it. So David, after considering all of this, he says in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you might, you might think about worship in the reference to the house of the Lord, and that may have been on his mind. You might think about eternal security, and that's definitely a part of it, that he keeps us, doesn't he? And I'm going to go from this temporary house, and I'm going to go into his presence. Oh, yeah, it's because to be absent is to be present. And the moment I'm absent here, I'm present there. There's not, there's not some kind of place out there you just waft around, like some uncertain, unguided vapor that has no place to land. No, you're either here or you're with him. And you're going to be with him forever, hallelujah. Mm, that's good. That may have been, and that's definitely a part of it. But remember that this is a shepherding theme. And it's David that is making this proclamation in response to the care that he receives He's making this proclamation, almost as if he is stating his intention. Because of how good he cares for me, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because I recognize what a great shepherd he is, I will choose to be with him. I will choose to be here. I will choose to trust him and to follow him. So you have two sheep on opposite sides of the fence. One is cared for by the good shepherd, the other is living under the world's care. And the sheep on the, on the side of the good shepherd, he begins to brag about his shepherd, about how good he has it, about how well he's cared for. The two sheep are named Bill and Bob. And, and so one day, Bill walks up to the fence and he goes, hey, Bob. I don't care if you like it or not. I told you I was having fun. And he gave me permission. So praise the Lord. Hey, Bob. How's it going? Hey, Bill. It's okay. I don't even know what I'm doing right now, but... You know what I'm trying to do. And Bill begins to tell Bob, and I've got it so good. I just can't help but praise the Lord. You know, but say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, come on, are you with me? Look, I'm being, I'm being ridiculous. I know. Since the weariness, just trying to help you. And you ever, have you ever seen sheep jump? Yeah, you know they go skipping through the meadow, mounting, mounting. You know, you know. Are you with me? Come on, people, let's go. Man, you can tell when a sheep's happy, frolicking and kicking up their legs and full wool coats, and they're just man. Yeah, you can tell. Look healthy, and and Bill, Bill is really happy. He's not talking about how much better he is than Bob. 
he's talking about how well he's cared for by his shepherd. And he's, and he's telling him, Bob, there's the gate. You know, I seem to remember that Jesus said, I'm the door. Bob, you can come over here. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I've got my flock over here, and just kind of we're doing our thing. But, 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 Bob, it's so much better over here. Well, why, why don't you come over here with me on this side? No, I've got it so good over here. Why would I want to leave the care of a shepherd who is this good to me? It's not pride. It's not arrogance. It's exalting the care of his shepherd. I'll pause for just a moment and make a secondary point before I make the final point and we have some application. I want to encourage you. We should never be arrogant. But brothers and sisters, we should be proud of our Savior. And far too many of God's children are not willing to be proud of the Savior who redeemed them and who blesses them. We have a bunch of Christians who walk around, well, I don't, I don't really want to say the name Jesus. Why not? He's the best thing that's ever happened for you. He, he ever happened to you. He does better for you than anyone else. And we don't have to be weirdos to be, to be thankful and to be proud and to exalt the care of our shepherd. Man, God's convicted me about this. And I, and I try to put this into practice. It's not uncommon. And I don't say this arrogantly. It's not uncommon for people to make positive comments about my children. It's also not uncommon for my children to do a bunch of crazy things that people just don't notice. But it's not uncommon for people to compliment the children my children and, and God convicted me of this and I, I you try to use those opportunities to say well you know God has really blessed us and we try to we try to raise them to love the Lord and he's given us insight I'm just trying to exalt the shepherd and say it's not about me it's about a God who is good and who can help any family raise their children you see what I'm saying man God sure has blessed you you got this or you're enjoying this or you're doing this you know man yeah man you you have a whole lot of opportunity and man your marriage and all of these things and your job well you know th- there are certain things that I've done but I've learned those things most of all because of my relationship with Jesus Christ and he's helped me to learn how to work hard he's helped me to have wisdom in the decisions I make he's helped us in our relationship and all these different things or he's helped me overcome this loss he's helped me through this valley he's helped me overcome these habits we can brag on on our savior and i believe that's what's going on here at the at the end of this chapter the sheep who is also a shepherd is lifting up the good shepherd and this is what he's saying i've got it better with him than i would anywhere else please think david wasn't always in palaces David was falsely accused. David was hunted for years. David hid and was on the run. And yet he was always in the care of the good shepherd. And this is what he would say. On my worst day, I've got it better than I could ever have it in the world. At its best, nothing the world has to offer is as good is what my Savior can do for me. So why would I want to leave when I have a shepherd like this? Here's the statement. The care of the shepherd is superior 
So why settle for anything that is inferior? The care of the shepherd on your worst day is better than anything the world has to offer. Just be honest. Look, I'm, I'm landing the plane. We're coming in. Stay with me. You've had some worse days, haven't you? Adam. And, and it might be that there are worse days yet to come. We don't know. But you look back over the course of your life, and you look at who Jesus Christ is to you and what he's done for you, and on your worst day, as a sheep belonging to him, you have it better than anyone who is not one of his sheep. And you look across that fence into the world, and you look, at, you look at the exteriors of what you think people enjoy, and this is what you'll find, that all of the money and all of the fame and all of the toys and all of the pleasure and all the selfishness and all the gratification cannot compare to one moment of peace that you enjoy because of the chief shepherd that you have. On your worst day, because of who he is, you have it better than anyone in the world could ever hope to have it outside of coming in through the door that is Jesus Christ. The care of the shepherd is superior. His word is superior. This book is superior to any wisdom that is being offered to solve the problems of the world. I don't care what party it comes from. I don't care what institution it comes from. I don't care what so-called expert it comes from. The wisdom of the word of God is superior to all other wisdom. And you have it daily. His prayer and his fellowship are superior. I'm thankful for the medical advances. I praise the Lord as should you that we get to live in this country where we have access to incredible medical care that has not been enjoyed at this level in any other time in history. And even today, most of the world doesn't enjoy it. We are blessed to be here. But all of the medical advances that have been made or could be made, they are inferior to a child of God being able to get on their knees before the Almighty and say, God, I need you because what he can do is superior to what anyone else can do. His peace and his satisfaction, his comfort in trials, his grace and his mercy, his healing, his understanding and his patience when things don't go your way. All of those things are superior. How he can help you overcome loss, how he can help you have victory, how he can help you see yourself properly, how he can humble you, how he can exalt you, how he can provide for you, the, his church and his people, what he gives us is superior to anything the world has to offer. Superior. And yet there are sheep that while they will always be his sheep, they are found nibbling in other pastures and, and they settle for inferior things. You say, what do you mean? They quit going to church. You know, I just, I, I got to have something different in my life. They quit reading the Bible. They quit spending time in prayer. They allow bitterness or resentment to build up. They decide that they're going to pursue the world. You look over there at Bob, and you see what is produced. It, it's, uh, what has been produced in the world is what will always be produced in the world. It's never going to produce anything different. And yet, there are sheep in the Lord's pastures that are not... You can't lose your salvation. We understand that, right? 
You still want to go on the other side of the fence and nibble at what the world has to offer as though it's going to produce anything different than what it's always produced. Young people, when it comes to relationships, what the world has to offer will always end the same way. But if you submit yourself to uh, not, not just desiring romance, but desiring romance God's way, if you will submit yourself to being the right kind of young lady, to being the right kind of young man, if you will submit yourself to, I'm not going to settle for something less than what God says I should settle, that, what God says I should have. Which means this, that an unbeliever should not marry a believer, or a believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. You say, well, I'm gonna, it's worked out at different times. Right, but that's not how we should do it if we know better. Well, somebody say amen to that, please, for the sake of your young people. You, you do it the way God wants, and it will be so rich and so satisfying and so fulfilling, and God will bless it. And yet, I got to have that. You got to nibble on that, you eat on that, you fill yourself up on that, and you reap the consequences of that. Churches settle for inferior. Look, there's pressure. I, I, I know you're aware of this. But there, there, there's pressure all the time to start changing things for the sake of accommodating a culture. Like, and and I am, I am, I'm honest with you about this. I believe there are areas where God gives us room to be where, you know, there's room for preference and things like that. Somebody say amen to that, please. There are. We're not going to state things as biblical mandates that are not stated as biblical mandates. Amen. I'm not going to put words in God's mouth. But there are churches that are over here trying to nibble in different pastures. Like, we're going to change this. We're going to change music. We're going to change it, what standards. I'm not going to be afraid of that word either because the Bible has standards in it. And the point isn't to be right with God. The point of doing it is to accommodate a culture. And when that is your motive, then you are going to be filled with what the world has to offer. And let me tell you, you may fill up a building faster, but people aren't going to have their lives changed the same way. Because it's not accommodating a culture that ever changed anybody. It is the life changing gospel of Jesus Christ being confronted with sinfulness and the grace and mercy of a loving God who gave himself on the cross. That is what will change people's lives. And yet churches, pastors feel this pressure all the time. Man, I just, I'm going to go nibble over here. You nibble over there, but you're not going to be satisfied with it. How we raise our children let me, say, let me say one more thing about a church. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody agreed with me? <laughs> well, that's how I look at my marriage. And we all admit we just have a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things. Yeah. And even in a family, you've got to work through different things. But I, just, I want to remind you, that if you know that you have a church, a place where the word of God is being preached, and there is an effort to love you to Jesus Christ, you say, well, I don't always agree with everything. Right, you know why? Well, sometimes your pastor is not. No, all the time your pastor is not perfect. 
as you are not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes we see things differently and we got to work through those different things. But you need to be careful about settling for something else when you know God has worked in my life there. And it's been a help to me. And you say, are there ever times? Yeah, I understand that, man, because churches can, they can go off the rails, can't they? That's not what I'm talking about. You understand that, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Dealing with things prematurely or in haste instead of letting your shepherd lead, it, lead you. I just want to encourage you tonight. I hope this is making sense. If he's your shepherd, don't settle for anything less than him leading you. Here's the hard part. We sing a song. We just sang this. Wherever he leads. That's great for missions conference. Yes, Lord, I surrender. I'll go. But sometimes where he leads us through some difficulty. Sometimes where he leads us through some trials, through some betrayal, through some sickness. I, look, we will not be guilty by the grace of God of the Job syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? You see someone like our young brother Paul. Man, I wonder what's going on in their life. I don't know, but you better stink and be careful about assuming they're doing anything wrong. People suffer through no fault of their own. Sometimes people hurt. You know why? Because that's the valley God led them through. You know why people hurt in relationships? Because sometimes that's the valley God led them through. You know why people hurt through different circumstances? It's the valley God led them through. You just need to be careful that you don't settle for something less in the process of following your Savior. You can't have it any better than him. So don't go look for anything else. You say, I don't like where I'm at right now. Yeah. Bible's full of people who didn't like exactly where they were at right then. But the shepherd always came through. He did for David. He did for David in the valleys that were of Saul's making. And he did for David when he was in the valleys that were of his own making. Every time the shepherd comes through. You'll never have it any better than him. You can't, you can't ever not be his once you're saved. But you can start pursuing after things other than him, and it will not satisfy. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If the care of the shepherd is superior, don't settle for the inferior. He's a good shepherd. I, I highlighted a few things. I understand we could have made a whole lot of other application. I hope you... I hope with the Holy Spirit's help, you got the point. And I, I just want to ask you, is there a way in which you are being tempted to settle for something inferior? Is there a way in which you are tempted to settle for something which is not what God has provided And you just, you want to take matters into your own hands. And you say, how do I know if I'm settling? Well, when you start doing things your own way instead of doing them the biblical way, that's the easiest way I know to define it. You start living outside of the parameters that the shepherd has defined instead of trusting him. And so tonight, 
you would say there, there are some ways in which I'm either tempted or I have, I've begun to, I've begun to go to another pasture. I've begun to go to another fence, other side of a fence in my own thinking or in areas of conduct. I'm just, I'm over there and I need to get back to him. Would you just respond to the Lord if he's spoken to you while Brother Nate sings? If God has dealt with you, you give him the courtesy of a response. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. What a strength in weakness Let me hide myself in Him Tempted pride and sometimes failing Be my strength, my Father, thank you for the time, and thank you for your people, and those watching, and those here. Lord, I just pray for your blessing on us, and pray that we'd understand, Lord, that the motive of the message and the desire to exalt you, and that we would make sure that we're keeping ourselves in understanding that you are better to us than anyone else can be. So would you please bless and help us to trust your care of us in Jesus' name, amen.